0: Stacking them deep, and selling them cheap. That tastes like gasoline, rubber, and victory. We're out here stacking pennies. Monumental episode, guys. We have made it to double digits. It is episode 10 of Stacking Pennies. Thank you for joining us. Corey Joy here with my buddy Chuck Bush. Uh, Jonathan Merriman is out getting something put on his tooth. Uh, so we wish him well and a speedy recovery, but uh ton, ton to cover. First, let me give you a little context though. When everybody always asks what tastes like victory and, uh, uh, race fuel. I was referencing and Chuck had to remind me, I was referencing to Martinsville hot dogs and I didn't know that till like last week, Chuck. And, uh, thank you for reminding me about Martinsville hot dogs that they taste like rubber and victory
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i remember when we we taped that at martinsville that that opening for the segment uh
0: i'm glad you chopped that up and now people know exactly what i was talking about and it was a little bit depressing this week because i went my first stop i walked through the tunnel in martinsville what making a beeline to the hot dog stand and you know what Close. the damn thing was closed mm-hmm. how are you gonna get COVID on an aluminum foil wrapped hot dog I got a bone to pick with Clay Campbell up there at Martinsville Speedway. (laughs) So, hey, speaking of bones to pick, there were plenty of bones picking this weekend with a couple fights, and there was one not captured on camera that was only word of mouth. Yeah, It might be a Corey Stories one day. I would like to hear that. (laughs) There was a fight between two teammates. So When we got that cup race going in between a window of rain, which, by the way, I've never raced a cup car in the rain on slicks that was the first time yeah on Saturday night it was raining so no sprinkle tires there was we that was the night for sprinkle tires hashtag tm because the I mean actually that would have been the perfect race to unveil the sprinkle tires I mean I gotta we gotta be fair like they're still
1: working out like the technology of the sprinkle tires like you can't just test it one time and then say all
0: right boys we're going for it why not I I mean, we we didn't even test dirt, and we just just started (laughs) going. We tested
1: dirt kind of with trucks for a couple of years. I know it's not the same.
0: I have faith in the hashtag sprinkle Tires that they would have been perfect. But, you know, NASCAR just said, you know what? We don't need sprinkle Tires. We just have the Vortex Effect Theory going. Uh, Hopefully, Gluck's listening because he always loves a good Vortex Theory uh, comment. He he is a naysayer of the Vortex comment. We should do a Corey Stories on Vortex Theory. Because I think it's 100% scientific. To me. I mean, it makes sense. Now, honestly, I think the vortex effect is a little less effective now that we have 40 cars and not 43. Yeah. It's, you lose a little bit of that that vortex effect, maybe by 3%, give or take. I'm not a, math, a mathematician. Um, and then we had Joe Graf and Greg Galding, which, you know. Wait, was that the word of mouth fight? No. Cody Ware and James Davison. I breeze right over it. Didn't yeah, I know. Talk I, about I, it. We so, can't okay. just
1: breeze over that no. word of mouth fight.
0: So... James Davison drives for Cody Ware's dad's team, Rick Ware Racing. Now, apparently, Cody Ware is the enforcer. You don't mess with Cody <laughs> Ware. He shipped Chicken Alfredo at Phoenix with no remorse. Fast forward to Martinsville. Now he's just shipping his own teammates. So I guess James Davison walks up into the hauler after this event. Uh, once it starts raining, NASCAR calls it off. Hey, guys, come back tomorrow. We'll see you again. James Davison was none too pleased. Goes to the hauler, lays some hands on Cody Ware, and then fists start to fly. Him. Don't have any don't have any proof except some uh you know, some some tweets possibly, maybe a little bit of word of mouth. Um I'm hearing Cody Ware got the upper hand of that battle. He's a little bit of a size advantage, probably got a little reach advantage. Um so but we did get some uh we did get some footage of a fight in the after the Xfinity race on sat- Saturday Sunday afternoon, actually. Yeah. Joe Graff did, and Co- Greg Gauding. We didn't see, we didn't see the original hit. No, but we saw the aftermath with Joe Graff in the mounted position on top of Greg Gauding with a with a courageous bystander Mike Harmon just chaperoning the fight to make sure that they. <laughs> he was just making sure that everybody was safe. That's all Mike Harmon
1: was doing. Was- you know, I love it. He and was- that they were they were ready for their uh, table at out. He was
0: weeks. like the he was like. Uh, the the damn referee in a UFC fight just waiting like if somebody got knocked out to jump in and separate it when
1: I love he puts his his hand on uh Greg Alding's shoulder at at, at, like after everything's done kind of like it's all right Greg it's
0: all right
1: (laughs) you lost that one get him next time we got the what is it the two for four meal at uh, Applebee's (laughs) like you'll be fine Greg yeah happy
0: hour from three to four yeah half price apps be eating good in the neighborhood don't you worry another (laughs) another uh been out of shape feelings, was was Suarez. He threw his – now, people were saying that it was water bottles. Let me clarify. It was Ziploc packs of ice cubes that you get handed during pit stop and you stuff down your fire suit because, side note, when NASCAR puts these full right-side uh, windows in the cars, when we go to a place like Martinsville when there's no air moving underneath the car through this – like there's no air circulating, cockpit temperatures get to about 125, 130. And Martinsville is the hottest place that we go to in the cups in the cup series schedule right now with that right side window. So what you do, some guys have cool suits, some guys have air blowers. The best way to cool down is literally just a sandwich bag of ice cubes and you stuff them in your your suit. Now, granted, after ten minutes, it's just water. Yeah. So when you get out of the car, you have like four or five of these Ziploc bags of water. And apparently that was the only thing handy for Daniel Suarez to throw at William Byron. So, he, so in his mind, he was thinking, you know what?
1: I don't have to race the rest of the day. We're just going to have a water balloon fight. Well, being the fact that his car was engulfed in flames, Th- yeah. That's that's outside. Look, we're not, you know, look. That's the details that we don't really need to concern
0: ourselves with. He, he wanted a water balloon fight, and Martinsville is the place to do it.
1: Hot dogs and water balloons. That's what Martinsville's about.
0: Yeah, and I, I don't think William Byron had a water balloon to throw back. He now, did. you know, speaking of throwing back, there was a little tweet. Uh, little tweet engagement. So I racing out of left field said, May maybe you should have threw those water bags at the fire of your car. And then Daniel responded, What what did he say? I think it was something (laughs) to the effect of, well maybe you should focus on video games. He said (laughs) And and then Yeah, then he said, This is real racing. Yeah. That was some fire. And I and I responded to the tweet. I said me amigo woke up and chose violence. (laughs) Because it was it, it was also, you know, granted, he's probably a little sensitive. He had a decent run going. He did. His car's on fire. You know, he's a little fiery guy. So maybe the timing wasn't right. And he clapped back a little bit aggressive. I love a good clap back tweet, though. They're
1: fun. Like, that, that's, I love seeing that, that fire. Yeah. Not the fire of the car. Like, not his car on fire. I don't love seeing that. But... You you can tell that when someone is that upset after something like that, like this means
0: a lot to Daniel. And I've got a I've got a theory as to why we're seeing a little more fire behind these race car drivers, myself so, included. So what is it, so so
1: so what? Three fight or two fights? A uh, water mm-hmm. balloon fight and then just some <laughs> clapback tweets.
0: Well, and then you know we've we've seen some more more stuff, more fights on. It's been Saturday. building. It's been building. Yeah. I, I am looking at, and I've said this since COVID or whatever, like whatever we've got going on right now with no practice and you're not there for more than a day, you don't get to see your competitors throughout the weekend, right? So when I get to the track, I'm going right to my car and getting in, like I'm not rubbing shoulders with these guys throughout course of practice or qualifying. So like, you don't see anybody in which case, like if the, if I have a beef with somebody, it is carrying over the following week and the following week because I don't get to, like, you know, see him in the bathroom and rub shoulder, hey, man, what's going on? You have to, like, make conversation. COVID, I think, has done the race fans well because you just don't get the chance to, like, chop it up with your competitors, in which case when you go want to throw down, people are just throwing hands, and they're not even even playing around with it. I love to see it. Well, I think – it was Merriman, somebody. I forgot who
1: I was talking to about this, but and you might have been involved in it too. It might have been on the show, might um, have been. but the fact that you know now in this day and age, not COVID time, but like pre-COVID time, the driver owner lot is one of the worst things that has happened to For the sure. sport. Not not worst. One, you got guys like they're able to hang out with each other, people that are going through the same thing. So that's a good thing that you guys can commiserate with people that are going through the same stuff. But no. You don't have that like everybody's friends now. The wives are hanging out. So, yes. if if you get mad at the
0: the other driver and then yeah, your wife's wife off. is friends with your wife, yeah, you're not having a good in day a boutique yeah. together. Yeah, you don't get that, and yeah. I love it. I love it. Now, you know, it will it get back to a little bit of that, probably so. But for the time being, enjoy it while it lasts, because we got people pissed off at each other each and every week. Uh, we got we had a big winner this week, Josh Berry, underdog, if you will. Which I didn't think he was an underdog. Um, he is the Martinsville 300 late model champion. Led every lap of that race last year, so of course he's got a good feel for that track. And he uh, he got it done for Dale Jr. this weekend. A lot of lot of stuff going on behind that a little feel good story, if you will. Would yes. you say he's a short track ringer? For
1: sure. Um. Yeah. Like in the old like. Yeah. He's he's running you know up until now a limited
0: season. Yeah. So. You know, and then that that wraps in the. Uh, you know, that wraps in the whole, is NASCAR going to give him a waiver for the playoffs and or, or whatever. But he's going to be joining the show here shortly. Everybody uh, stand by for that. I'm excited to talk to him. He's definitely got a lot of stuff to talk about, pick his brain about some cool stuff. Uh, and then we had another winner, second time, first first time, second time winner this year, Martin Truex Jr. at Martinsville. I'm almost tired of hearing that, like, oh, it's his home track because it's Martinsville. Every caller on Sirius bring, brings that up. It's getting a little old, guys. Like, I get the joke.
1: It's like when uh, Carl Edwards won Darlington and they called it Carlington.
0: <laughs> yeah, like the, and they actually, like took a sharpie and yeah, like, wrote it. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'm all for a little fun. A little used up. Stop beating that horse, um, Chuck. While we're waiting on our guest to get here, we got some heads or tails. I got some good ones this week. Okay, what you got? Well. I hate that we don't have Merriman Healer for his well, cold takes. He did text
1: me, and he said, are y'all still going? I'm droopy-faced. Um, <laughs> he said, y'all need me to call in or anything. I'm like, I, I, yeah, I mean, I could say yeah, but at the same time, like, do I want him to I, <laughs> I today.
0: <laughs> I think that we spared our listeners for the ice coldest of the coldest takes this yeah. week. I don't want to have to edit that, like, <laughs> edit around, like, what did he say here? So. Well, we all know that Denny Hamlin is on a almost a record-breaking year. He has had seven top five finishes in the first eight races. Uh, I think only one person has had one more than that. Uh, I saw something that he posted the other day. Uh, so, first header tails, Chuck. We're going to Richmond this weekend, Denny's home track. Denny versus a finish outside the top five. Which one are you taking? I, I mean, look, I got to feel like Denny is due here soon for a, a win a win yeah like I yeah well I, I mean that's what they say you gotta run top five before you can before you can win do and, you have to though like yeah couldn't you just go out there and get a, get a win um he yeah was, but not not as likely i mean the 500 with mcdowell is, is an oddball or outlier example like if you run top five enough it is inevitable that you will get a win so i mean rich denny gets around richmond It's one of his statistically best tracks. So I'm, I mean, I think Denny goes eight top fives in nine races, which would be pretty incredible. But doesn't get a win? Uh, I think that might, this might be Denny's week. This might be his week. I mean, if not now, eventually. I mean, he's leading points by like 100.
1: Even with Trux's back to back, like not back to back, even with Trux's two wins, he's still, Denny's still. uh, Yeah, a lot.
0: Yeah. Okay. Now, don't quote me on that. I'm not a. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All I know is that I'm like an infinite amount of points behind them uh, because I have had an atrocious year, which we will probably break down a pit road boats and woes because I had the woeiest of woes at our best damn race going this year. I'll give you a cold take though,
1: since Merriman's not here. Please, Denny finishes 11th at Richmond.
0: All right, I'll take that cold take. Yeah, uh, and I just kind of, I kind of rolled. Uh, I opened this one up here a second ago. Me versus finishing a race, Chuck, because as of right now, chances are very slim. All right, so Richmond.
1: Let's see, that's a tough track, because um, I've played it on simulators. Yeah, it's, it's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> so you know exactly. What I know we're up exactly against. what you're up against, and I'm going to say, you know what. I feel like this is your week. Thanks, buddy. I do. I do. Damn, I'm glad like, you I'm, said that. I feel like you were going to get you, I'm going to say top 15. And rich I up. like that because like
0: because up. we had, shoulda, coulda, woulda, mm-hmm. we had a top 15 car easily at Martinsville. We drove from dead last, failed tech a couple times, drove to 10th, passed Kyle Busch twice, which that was the first time that's ever happened in my career. I mean, it's Kyle Busch, though. I mean, you know, he's having a bad year, yeah. which leads me into my next heads or tails. Kyle Busch versus whoever the poor son of a bitch is that has to be his crew chief. I'm taking Kyle Busch. Definitely <laughs> Kyle Busch. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, Kyle Busch is, remains – gosh, he's so mean to his his crew chief. Now, especially if, you know, when that 18 car doesn't show speed, he had the left front fender ripped off this weekend, still just black. I don't even know who his crew chief is now. It's not Adam Stevens anymore. He left, right? Yeah. He went to the 20. Um. I, I got to wonder, like, is he still,
1: like, is he that salty to them outside of the car? Or is it just like heat of the moment? I'm going to key the mic and I'm going to say something. Or is it like, hey, when we get back to the holler or like at the shop on Tuesday in the meeting or whenever the meeting is and like, you yeah, know, hey, I, I said some things.
0: It was the heat of the moment. I would love to be a fly on the wall in those competition meetings because I think just now that's one thing I've always respected about Kyle Bush. The same way he is in, like face to face is the same way he is in the car which is intense and he does not care about anything except winning races. So I would venture to say that however you hear Kyle Busch granted the the intensity meter is probably ramped up four or five numbers when he puts the helmet on because the adrenaline's going but when he's in a competition meeting I'm sure he's just as intense. Yeah. It Ben Bashore. That is who his Ben Bashore. Yeah, poor guy. You know, that's almost like grabbing a tick Ticket on the Titanic because, but the Titanic's going to keep on sailing and you got to go down with the iceberg. I mean, it's got to change, right? Like it's Kyle Bush. He's going to win. Yeah. Now this, this downforce package, he has been, it's affected Kyle Bush more than it's affected a lot of other guys. Uh, It's affected him similar to how how it's affected uh, Kevin Harvick. Right. You know, those guys, even Jimmy Johnson, you know, guys that, you can point to that that like that high downforce or high horsepower, low downforce who can modulate the throttle and, and find speed on different lanes. Uh, it definitely has handicapped Kyle Bush and we see him in victory lane a lot less. But, I mean, he's going to win. It's not a matter of, like, can Kyle Bush still get the job done? Yes. Uh, they just haven't quite found the feel with this high downforce stuff to uh, to get him in contention to win yet. I don't know. It's coming. It's coming. And speaking of not being in contention to win, Stuart Haas Racing. Uh, I I had heads or tails. Stuart Haas Racing versus Victory Lane. Right now,
1: I don't think they could find it if uh, you gave them a, like, Google
0: Maps turn-by-turn <laughs> turn no. direction. No, they're on MapQuest with the printout direction. <laughs> Still can't even find it. Well, that's
1: why they're on MapQuest. Like, it, nobody
0: uses Man. that Man, now... Some they got the stapler in it. Some there. competition things that have knocked a little bit of speed out of Stuart Haas' race, and NASCAR came up with these wheel opening templates. Uh, and they were messing a lot around a lot with just literally how the shape of the fenders are around the tires. And there's a lot of downforce, side force, and drag to be made or lost in those areas. So NASCAR cracked down on that, which seemed to knock a lot of speed out of those SHR cars more so than the others. So I think, you know, when you got guys smart like Stuart Haas Racing uh, with Greg Zipidelli leading the pack, uh, who Rodney Childers, like those guys will figure it out, but they are definitely behind the eight ball this year. So I'm taking Victory Lane will win and beat Stuart Haas Racing more often than not until later this year. Speaking of Victory Lane, let's hop on with our guest, Josh Berry, who's pretty familiar with being at Victory Lane this weekend. <laughs>
3: So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite
0: podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. All right, guys. Very special guest. Big winner this week. First Xfinity time in victory lane. Mr. Josh Berry, driving for Junior Motorsports. Thanks for jumping on Stack and Pennies with us.
4: Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, and that was... Uh... That was an amazing day, man. It was uh, truly uh, a special day and, uh, and a great race for us. And, and really, still, still trying to soak it all in. Well, I'm I'm sure. Now,
0: you've been trying at this thing. I was I was creeping on your Instagram last night. Your first Xfinity race was in 2014 at Homestead yeah. Miami, and you ran damn good. And it has it has taken seven years uh, to get a decent opportunity uh, for consecutive weeks in a row. Uh, so what does it mean to you just to keep sticking with, uh, j- I guess the grind man? Cause, uh, you know, you, you are living it.
4: Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's been quite an experience, you know, we, uh, yeah, you know, I ran a handful of starts between uh, 14 and, and 16 for JRM and, and a couple of those went, went fairly well. Um, we had a really good run at Richmond and, uh, you know, kind of just kind of stalled out after that. Um, you know, luckily for me the whole time I had the opportunity with the late model car. And and really the last few years, we've really done some amazing things with that. And I think that kind of, you know, just uh, led me into this opportunity with, uh, with Jerry I think Dale and them just wanted to, they, it's just like you said, they wanted to see me get a, get a good shot consecutive weeks in a row. And, um, you know, it's still tough, man. I mean, you know how that is without practice or anything, it's, it's been tough, but, um, and we were able to make the most of it Sunday.
0: Now, you're, you're on track record in the late models. You won. You led every lap of the Martinsville 300 late model race. So obviously, you had to have a lot of confidence rolling into that Xfinity Series race. What kind of emotion was was coming over you at those last couple of laps when you took the checkered flag in that in that Xfinity race? You
4: know, it's um, it's hard to say. Like uh, you always wonder how you'll be in those moments. Um, you know, whether you'll be nervous or nauseous or crying or what and uh you know honestly I, I felt pretty pretty calm I think Martinsville um you know I don't know if I if confident is the right word going there because at the end of the day it's you know totally different car and, and different race and different competitors and everything than what I'm used to but I was definitely way more comfortable um with just uh with the track and knowing the place and and what I what I needed to do to, to be fast and um, you know, really, towards at the end, I was just, I just, I felt really good about where we were at with the car. Um, I was just trying to be patient through the lap traffic and not not do anything crazy there, get impatient with them, and just just work through it and, and manage my gap behind me. And, and just hopefully the caution didn't come out. And there was a couple moments there with the with the lap traffic that we lost a little time, and, and Noah creeped in on us a little bit. But I, I think we still had uh, we had plenty of speed to, to hold him off. Something
0: I've always admired about you because you have this work ethic that you just you keep your head down and grind whether it's working on some kids late model at junior motorsports that's coming in trying to get some experience and you coach them and you work on their stuff and obviously you're working on your stuff and going to the racetrack and, and winning races but how how did you keep confidence in yourself and your abilities that you you were going to get a shot um, you, know, you, you know for me it's been been tough but I've been lucky and I've got the brakes to to allow me to race on Sunday where, you know, obviously you're a capable enough driver behind the wheel, but you never – you haven't up to this point gotten a brake to show what you're capable of doing. How'd you, you know, almost in the waiting, keep yourself uh, up and and positive that that this is what you're going to do for a
4: career? Yeah, I mean, that that part of it's tough. Um, You know, I think for me, um, over the last few years, I've I've uh, been fortunate to work with a lot of great people and learn a lot of things. And I, and I guess in a way um, you know, to be honest, I kind of felt like that I was just going to be a, you know, a career short track racer really. Um, You have a lot of uh, accomplished, a lot of things in that area. And and we kept finding new, new ways to, uh, to, to develop that and and, kind of find new goals to set, um, you know, whether it be different races or championships and, you know, all along the while, I've been, uh, I've just learned a lot about racing and, and preparing the preparing the cars and and basically, you know, crew chiefing them in a way. So I guess, I guess, I didn't wasn't deathly, you know, scared of not making it as a driver. I just have been just trying to you know maximize the opportunities that I get and, and learn a lot along the way. That you know, if, if it wasn't if I wasn't going to be a driver, you know, I know I could I could make a good career in racing. So you are one of the most successful
0: late model drivers probably in the history of the NASCAR late model series. Do you think, do you feel the eyeballs on you in in the sense of like when you won that race on Sunday afternoon, that there was every short tracker that ever drove a a late model kind of behind you, not even wishing that they were you, almost pulling for you because you were the short track guy taking one uh,
4: to the big guys? yeah I think so for sure we've had uh, a lot of attention and I've had a lot of peers um reach out to me you know over the course even when I you know announced this opportunity was announced and then we'll, and when we got to the point where we were racing and everything I've had a lot of people reach out to me and and wish me well and and I uh, think you know in a way I'm kind of carrying the carrying the banner for a lot of those guys um you know I've raced with you know there's tons of them that I know and and there's a tons of great racers that you know I, I don't know or I haven't raced with that and you know, it's just um, – it's an amazing feeling um, just uh, to be able to do that. And, you know, when we got this opportunity, I think I dreamed of being able to, to win. I mean, you dream of getting the opportunity and winning, I think. You know, but at the same time, we knew what we were up against with uh, just just no practice and not a lot of experience that, you know, I think um, just to be able to accomplish that goal is just uh, – just, it was amazing. So certainly winning a race.
0: This year was a box that you wanted to check. Now, now that you did that at Martinsville Speedway this past weekend, does that change what the boxes are that Junior Motorsports is going to try to build, or are they going to try to put another car on the racetrack if you get a waiver for the playoffs? Like, what does winning that race at Martinsville set you up better for the future? Maybe next year, maybe the end of this year. Is there anything changing? We saw Marcus Monas reach out about possibly a Talladega sponsorship since you're racing for the uh, the Dash for Cash. So. What what does winning that race change for the future of Josh Berry's racing career?
4: You know, it's it's we're figuring that out as we go. Honestly, um, you know, we're not really, you know, even Dale said uh, post race he wasn't wasn't sure what a win in this time it would mean. Um, you know, obviously, we got a lot of attention and a lot of um, you know, great things going on right now. I think um, I think it's going to be hard to put a deal together for this year. To be honest, I don't I don't see much change in there. But I think it kind of moves our it was our goal to, to try to put together an, an effort, uh, you know, for for 2022. You know, hopefully, a full time effort. I think that's what we've kind of moved to our goal, and then in the meantime, we'll kind of just see what other opportunities um, present themselves. I think, you know, competition wise, you know, I think we kind we moved the needle a little bit now, knowing you know that we did win at, at but at Martinsville. I think so. For me now, it's about uh, stepping up and, and do getting a little better better finishes at these bigger tracks that, that, um, you know, I really don't have a lot of experience at. I think that's going to be our next goal is to just try to keep getting better there and, and seeing what we accomplish at those places. One last
0: question before we roll back in to our, our guest, uh, section where we ask a, would you rather, but so the deal was to start the year, you were going to start do a majority of the season. Then Sam Mayer comes in and finishes the year. So how do you try to keep, uh, yourself, I guess, sharp behind the wheel while you're spectating and while while you're watching your car go around the track with some other guy driving to try to keep that momentum and your confidence up, leading into what hopefully it leads into a lot more races in, in the 22 season. Yeah, I mean that's
4: going to be uh, it's going to be tough. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely going to be a, a different feeling, and, and it's probably going to be even harder now that I've won together with that group. And but um, it is what it is. You know, I just gotta, I just gotta get over that and keep working, to be better. And we still have a late model car. We're going to, you know, unless something changes, you know, the plan is to go to race, go race it a bunch this summer and, and into the fall and, and so I'll still be racing. Just it's um, going to be a little bit different for a while. In the meantime, we're going to, we're just going to work hard and try to, try to put together the program for next year. For Probably.
0: sure. Well, you, uh, you got a lot of great people surrounding you. I hope something shakes loose because you certainly <clears throat> deserve it. Uh, so let's, let's do a couple lighthearted. Would you rather serious? Are you ready? Yep, I'm ready. All right. Would you rather hear your Martinsville clock ring nonstop for a week or hear uh, your little girl Mackenzie Grace cry nonstop for a week? Oh, the clock
4: for sure. I can't – we've been – nothing can go off. But we really – so ever since we had her, um, I turned my – the sound's off on the clock that I have already, so she has some I don't know, that sound might make her cry, so it might be a double whammy phone. I, I might have to think about that one. Oof. Yeah, just don't don't wind that clock. Maybe just try to keep
0: it keep it quiet for uh, we, we both have a, a little one about the same age. So it's never it's never good trying to hear hearing your kid cry for sure. Next one. No, sure. You can only eat one of these things for a week. Would you rather eat South Boston's fried bologna sandwiches or Martinsville hot dogs?
4: Man, I think I think I'm going to have to go with the the bologna sandwich on that one. I I don't know about the hot dogs, man. They're good. They're good, but uh, loaded down with the chili and slaw, everything like that, man. That would be tough on the stomach for a week. And those who don't know about South
0: South Boston uh, sandwiches, let me tell you, them fried bologna's are on time. Last one. If you could if you could pick one race car
4: at one track to race for the rest of your life, what are you taking? Man, I would. Um, Man, I would have to go with probably uh, a cup car at Martinsville or Richmond, man. Those are the two places that really stand out to me. Uh, just great short track, um, just great racing at those places, and I think, you know, that, that, would, that would be my pick. Those are just two, two great places for sure. Those are great choices. And
0: there you heard it from Josh Berry. Congratulations, man. You earned it. Glad to talk to you on Stacking Pennies. Have a good week. Yep,
4: yeah, thank you, man.
0: I'm a little bit sad to get in this segment because I had my own fair share of pit road boats and woes this weekend that ended my day early. So to give me a little help to break down what had happened, I got my buddy Ryan Flores, front changer for Brian, Brad Keslowski joining me again. How you doing, buddy?
2: Oh, glad to be here. Hey, we had our fair share of woes, too, until we wrecked. But, uh, but man, you see people wreck on, on pit road, but not often do you see them get Hitting the perfect spot right from the fan where it rips the damn nose off and radio out of the
0: thing. Well, of course it would happen to me. Because if it's something oddball is <laughs> going to happen this year, it's going to happen to the seven car at one point in time. That makes four DNFs for us, unfortunately. Two, couple mechanical failures, a couple crashes. Uh, and it was pretty disheartening. We uh, I, probably just get into that. So I don't know if anybody's watching the race or not, listening to the show. We pulled out of the box, come in the pits 10th. Literally drove from dead last because we failed tech twice, had to start in the back. Drove to 10th, threw some attrition, a couple outside restarts, got some track position, and we were rocking and rolling with our best car of the year. Come down pits. Now, it's a combination of a lot of things that puts us in the hole because the way this formula is, Ryan and I were talking about it before the show. When the guys that are low in points, the formula almost keeps you low because you get the last of the pit stall selection. You get a, a crappy pit, uh, starting position. So with that being said, we go to the smallest, tightest pit road of the year, and I have to drive around the 19, who eventually won the race, and I was pitted. I was in front of the uh, 47 on the racetrack, but he was pitted in front of me. So I couldn't get nosed out. I had to back up out of my box pretty much every time. And then sure enough, when we're getting down to the wire for the second or, la- second or the last stop, we pull out. And we get the whole damn nose and radio ripped out off the eight car, which should have just been a glancing blow, but it wasn't. Why do you I mean, you're down there changing tires, Ryan. Why would that damn thing open
2: up like a can opener like it did? Well, a little bit of it's the angle you had to take out of your box because the car was in front of you. So you couldn't you couldn't merge slowly, right? You had to cut the wheel, dump the clutch and get out of the box there. So you're you're screwed anyway, right? You can't just sit there and wait for everybody to go by. It's a damn it's a race. The race. So the the bummer is, you know, instead of just crinkling in your fender or something, it, it, it caught it. it. It's a lot like what we saw with Austin in the Xfinity race They throw It catches it right in that right spot, and you know, a lot. Of, I don't know. If I'm sure your guys did this at Sparks, but a lot of the cars at Martinsville, you lighten up that front bumper bar. You kind of take all that stuff out that you really don't need, and um, that makes them susceptible to getting can opened. And that's what that's what happened to you. Um, but yeah, the way the metric works with so the metric for starting is the same way you get your metric for pit road. Um, how you pick your pit stalls? So it's half of your finishing position, fifty percent of your finishing position from the week before, twenty-five percent of your fast lap, and twenty-five percent of your points position. Yeah. So that that uh, that makes it. So if you have a bad week, it could really it could really hold you down for a while. Um, we had we had something odd going on this week where we were losing power steering at low RPM. So Brad kept parking too close to the wall because he couldn't steer it could back not, to the right, literally could not steer it back to the right. Yeah, so that's kind of how we lost track position there. And um, he, he even couldn't choose at the choose cone, he just had to stay at the top because he couldn't turn the wheel to choose. Yeah. He did to hit the box, so uh, yeah, so it was a it was a pretty pretty challenging uh, tr- it, it, we'd get it back um, when he was racing, but under caution, man, he, he couldn't steer the thing so. That so, led us to losing track fishing and being in the in the log jam there on the backstretch.
0: So chalk that up to a pit road well. That's more of a mechanical well. But what we saw, the most dominant car in the long run of the weekend, Ryan Blaney losing on pit road for the last stop because the air hose got stuck under the left side side skirt. Now what? Is that just bad luck? Or is that a, is that a hose puller that didn't do his job to get that hose
2: out of there when the car took off? You ain't going to believe this shit when I tell you what happened. When they were waving the pit sign, when Blaney was getting on the pit road, they are waving the pit sign, he's probably 20 stalls away, the pit sign fell off of the pit board into the pit box. So Wade runs out there and grabs the pit sign, and Raymond, the car chief, holding it there. Blaney naturally blew through his box. He almost didn't stop in the box, right? Yeah. So with that going on, it just shows how important every, you know, how close you are to chaos at all the time.
0: For sure. You know what I mean? Well, and the, so and a I, don't, simple I don't want to cut you like off, that. But go ahead. There are a million, there is an infinite amount of ways to lose a cup race. There is only one way you can win one. And that's a perfect example the damn <laughs> yeah. pit sign falling off.
2: So the pit sign fell off, right? So in turn, so that's where the problem starts, right? So in turn, Blaney stops long because the pit sign, he didn't really have a gauge, makes it in the box. And um, the way that, that Greg approaches the car, uh, they the road crew guys behind the wall actually throw his hose, so he holds the gun with both hands as he runs out. Uh, some guys, like I, I carry my own hose, but they throw his hose, so, the, so they had a lot of slack out there and tried to pull it back to get some of the slack out, and it went under the nose. Then when he got up to leave the right side, it got hooked under the, the fender, kind of where the splitter is, but he had enough room on the left side to change the left front, which was kind of impressive that they were even able to do that then when he got when the car dropped he almost got it out there and hooked the back side of the left front fender where the side skirt is and um man it actually took greg for a little bit of a ride he watched it this morning he grabbed the hose and it he's lucky he's not hurt he said he was feeling it today but uh but yeah that's a scary thing man when those when those guns uh get ripped down pit road and the hoses get tight and stretched um, you know that gun ain't light. It's like a brick coming at you. So if that would have hit somebody else, and you saw the damage it did to the left rear quarter panel as well, and uh, and took them out of a, of a uh, of contention for a win. So that was
0: unfortunate to see our buddy Ryan Blaney lose his shot to compete for a win up against the 19 and the 11 and the nine. Uh, we saw a couple other guys; their days kind of done from loose wheels. We saw a couple different ones. We saw Alex Bowman had a loose wheel, had to come down pit road under green. We also saw. The 14 having a good run, Chase Briscoe with a loose wheel. Now, I was wondering why, uh, and explain to listeners why loose wheels are more susceptible to a place like
2: Martinsville than other places. So, especially your left rear is something you see at Martinsville, especially at short tracks, right? Martinsville, uh, your left rear is your heaviest wheel on the car. And that is, you, you told me this weekend, you got left rear driving the car, and that's when you started going forward, right? Yep. So, you are using that left rear. Um, everything you got to slow the car down and then more importantly, to speed it up. Yep. So at tracks like Charlotte or Texas, you know, mile and a half, when you're in the gas, you don't have that stop and go drive load in the car with 750 pounds of horsepower or 750 horsepower, first rocking first. that thing back and forth. Um, and, then the, and then the brake heat heating up and cooling down. So that's where you see a lot of left rears come loose is short track. Um, where you have where you have that issue. Another thing that you run into with the left rear at a short track is during the pit stop, they're usually pretty low and hard to get on, and it's something that you usually rush because you're behind. So you see a lot of issues there. But another thing we've been seeing with a lot of cars, uh, I think probably sixty-five percent of the field is hitting four lug nuts in the middle of the race now, and um, that's something that is a little bit of a point of contention right now, but. As long as you have five lug nuts on at the end of the race and you go through the lug nut check, you're good. But if you're hitting four in the middle of the race, you really can't police it. And I think it's something they're trying to work through to figure out how to how to police it before it gets out of hand again. Because if you remember a couple of years back, people were just pulling one lug nut off and doing, doing pit stops. So I'm sure
0: NASCAR is going to be all over that. We could talk about that here next week after Richmond if it's a topic. So thanks for hopping on Pit Road thanks. Boats and Woes. See you. See you, boy. heard this or not, Richmond Raceway is having a little bit of an anniversary this year. That's right, they're hitting the big 7.5 for those of you keeping score at home. That'll be the diamond anniversary. In honor of that, we'd figure we'd spend this quarry stories looking at one character that made his mark on that racetrack by winning the first automobile race at what was then known as Strawberry Hill Raceway. The driver that won that race was Ted Horn. Old Ted was born Eilard Theodore Van Horn in 1910 in Cincinnati. His family moved around several times before finally settling in Los Angeles. Now, at some point during all this moving, his family decided to drop the Von from their name to hide the fact that they had German roots because, because during World War I, a lot of folks in America weren't big fans of the Germans. When Ted was 15, he earned enough money picking peaches that he was able to buy himself a jalopy, a purchase that his parents were a little bit skeptical about with good reasons. Within weeks of purchasing that car, Ted wrecked that jalopy up against a telegraph pole. That's right, a telegraph pole, not a telephone pole. It was clear that Ted had the need for speed, but it was also becoming clear that he also had a streak of bad luck. One day while he was driving into work, he was pulled over for speeding. Now, instead of writing a speeding ticket, the police officer recommended that he take his lead foot over to the local raceway in San Jose. Once at the track, Ted was hooked, although his eagerness outpaced his skills. At Banning in Riverside County, Horn got together with a rival and crashed through a fence at Legion Ascot Speedway outside of L.A. Horn crashed at the end of the back straightaway on the very first lap. And then in March of 1931, he crashed into a tree, rolling his car, which crushed his foot and burned his back. That wreck caused his parents to put pressure on him to give up on his dream of auto racing. And Ted fully intended to heed his parents' words, but the lure of the racetrack brought him back after a three-year hiatus. Now, Ted had to be getting better and better, but his early mishaps had caused him to be a little superstitious. Once while running third in a race in Chicago, Ted suddenly pulled into the pit saying he had a feeling that he should do so. While Ted and a crew member were loading the car back onto the trailer, one of the front wheels just collapsed. Now, had that happen on the racetrack at speed? Disaster. Now, you could chalk this up to Horn being in sync with the machine he was driving, or was just Horn listening to that little voice in the back of his head? That little voice also spread to other areas of the race weekend. Ted was known for being a charming, approachable guy, But he would not let fans pose with him before the races or sit in the cockpit of one of his race cars. He would instead urge the fans to come back and find him in the pits after the race when he was, quote unquote, in the clear. He did all this because he had seen other drivers allow fans the access and then get involved in accidents on the racetrack, some of which were even fatal. The 1930s were not a particularly safe time to be driving race cars. In 1934, Ted attempted to qualify for the Indianapolis 500. He didn't make that race. Not to be discouraged, he tried again in 1935. This time he made the field, but the design flaw in the car would eventually result in the freezing up of the steering gear, making it almost impossible for Horn to steer the car. You know what? He manned up, and he ended up finishing 16th that day. And that was the last time he finished outside of the top four in any Indianapolis 500. To this day, Ted Horn's record of nine straight top four finishes in the Memorial Day race has yet to be broken. Nine straight top four finishes amazing i should point out this streak was broken up a little bit by world war ii speaking of world war ii ted volunteered but because of his racing injuries he was declared unfit for service i mean there was that one wreck in 1936 where horn got speared by a railing that broke both his shoulder and collarbone i digress when racing resumed in 1945 ted won all seven races he entered that year which brings us to 1946 it was a good year for ted and racing in richmond you know kind of the whole point of the story the atlantic rural exposition had built a new state fairgrounds for virginia at the old strawberry hill farm the half mile dirt track was suitable for both horses and cars you got a real bang for your buck at those tracks back then the AAA national championship trail that season consisted of 77 races six champ car races and 71 big car races big cars today are known as sprint cars Ted won 19 of those big car races, including one on October 12, 1946. This was only a 20-lap shootout, but the race has the distinction of being the first automobile race run at what is now Richmond Raceway. Now, we know Ted Horn got the W that day, but do you know who got third place? Red Byron, who eventually went on to be NASCAR's first champion. That man was everywhere. While Ted Horn didn't win any of the champ car races, his worst finish was sixth and the Atlanta 100 at Lakewood Speedway, which earned him enough points to claim the 1946 AAA National Championship. Ted said, you know what, let's run it back. He won the ship in 47 and 48, becoming the first driver to win three in a row. Unfortunately, Ted Horn's third championship would be a posthumous one. October 10th was the champ car finale at DeCoin State Fairgrounds in Illinois. On the second lap of the 100-mile race, a broken spindle sent his car hard to the machine of Johnny Mance. Horn was rushed to the hospital, but was pronounced dead on arrival. He was 38 years old. Three-time Indianapolis 500 champion Lewis Mayer said that Ted's unquestionable character, true sportsmanship, and love for competition has caused him to remain in the heart of the racing world. I don't like ending Corey stories on a sad note, so let's just take a step back and look at what Ted Horn did in his racing career. He won over 80 American Automobile Association sprint car races from 1936 to 1948, including 23 in 48 alone, five AAA national champ car races in 47 to 48, three straight AAA national championships, and last but certainly not least, the first ever automobile race on the grounds of Richmond Raceway. And there you have it. Ted Horn was the first winner at Richmond Raceway. Headed there this weekend. Thank you for popping in for Corey stories. There's something unique about this Josh Berry win that's, that almost makes you feel warm and fuzzy. And it's, it kind of takes a look back to like the early nineties when you weren't even considered quote unquote cup ready until you were 30, 32. And the way the sport has shifted, if you're not 18 and running a, a Xfinity car, like a kid like Harrison Burton or Ty Gibbs, like you're almost considered over the hill. So it's awesome to see a short track guy come in and get a win and almost be considered the old guy when he has a whole career ahead of him. So I hopefully
4: – man, I hope
0: it works out for Josh Berry. He definitely earns it, uh, earned his way. But it's tough, man. It's uh, – you need the partners, you need a break. Got to get a little lucky. But uh, there's no question Josh Berry can get it done behind the wheel. The old guy, if you will, thirty years old, winning Xfinity Series races, beating up on them, beating up on them youngins. 30's not old. <laughs> not Just not when, thirty is not old, and we have to get people like you know, you can race till you're forty, 40, 42 years old, and forty-five, but uh, you know, thirty years old, he's winning Xfinity races, he's tearing up the racetrack, whether it be a late mile track in Hickory or a damn paperclip in Martinsville, Virginia. So. Cool to see. Spare change headed to Richmond this weekend. Trucks are racing. Cups are racing. The NASCARs. uh, We're going to put a good We we, I don't know, Chuck. We got to put a damn race together with this seven team because we are capable of doing it. We just had a little bad luck turning the ship around this weekend, going to the front. Told you. Top 15. Top 15. I I love it. 75th anniversary
1: of Richmond uh, Raceway. You know. Why not us? Yeah.
4: Yeah. Why not
1: there's, us? There's fives there. There's 75. We talked about it in Corey's stories. And top
0: 15, I think those
1: numbers just got like – I like those numbers.
0: It just feels right. Yeah. Ten episodes in stacking pennies. This thing feels right. So thank you all for tuning in. See you all next week.